56 of the podcast I'm joined with John Fagan John welcome thank you so much for coming on no problem. we actually we actually share the same surname uh, John so you know we probably once hundreds of years ago were, were related somehow through ancestors probably on the battlefield together um, so yeah when I seen your surname I was kind of like am I related to a John Fagan but no I think there's a lot of Fagans out there and if, if I was related to you I'd know by now um, but yeah name. John it's a great name Come here, welcome on. Um, it's nice to get to chat to you. I would have ideally liked to spoke to you face to face, but COVID nineteen has restricted that. But that doesn't mean we we can link up again in the future. Maybe we could have yourself and a, a past member on the podcast, uh, Jerry Redmond. Maybe you both come into the studio together and have a kind of a diverse chat against each other of how your experiences were very different. But yeah, um, you both went through the same stuff. So for people listening and they hear experiences and they hear you know going through these things they don't probably know exactly what it is and some already know who you are because you are the winner of uh, hell week's program on virgin media special forces am i right in saying the title there uh yeah special forces ultimate hell week yeah yeah that's it brilliant yeah so you were the winner um although i let you tell your journey and your story i think it's fascinating that you went in with your brother am i right um it's twin michael yeah your twin michael yeah and i found you two were I'm not just saying it because you're on the, the Zoom chat here now, but I found you two were probably mentally the strongest two there was. Um, I know Michael didn't go on to win it um, or even, you know, uh, go as far as you did, but I suppose you both showed yourself in many different tasks. Like one of the tasks that stood out to me, um, especially for people that are watching this that haven't a clue what Hell Week even is, you can definitely just catch up on Virgin Media now. Anyway, it's there on the player, but Hell Week is essentially... Um, special forces kind of program for people normal joe soaps you could say and some have a fitness background some have an athletic background but i wouldn't say uh anybody is equipped or built for for what you guys went through um but it's basically you're put through these random tasks uh very very uh mentally and physically draining tasks but you know it's all about the survival of the fittest the strongest comes out in the end and it mightn't be you might have a guy that's physically strong in there but a mentally stronger guy will, will end up winning and stuff like that. So one of the tasks that stood out to me, I just wanted to say before we begin chatting uh, about how you got into it, was the one where you were like put in this kind of barn or something where it was like um, some sort of a gas and it, it kind of nearly makes you choke mm. and cough and you're, you know, you end up kind of uh, purging, you know. Yeah, the CS gas, that was the gas chamber part of it. Yeah, that was an absolute mare. Of, that was one, that was one of the, the physically most horrendous things I've ever experienced in my whole entire life. Yeah, Michael did re- really well. So that's a, there's a really good contrast between the two of us there. Mick was like he was in a sauna. He was grand. He was just chilling out. And I was suffering big time when I was in. So I think he just he just cracked the code of just not to, not to breathe in too much and just hold your breath as long as you can and, and do the, the, as little as possible to get through it as best you can. And he did that, whereas I kind of uh, messed up a small bit during it and it, it suffered big time as a result. It's fascinating to hear, though, how Michael had a strength in that area. Um, but whereas if you both went out into another task, you might have kind of had a bit of a strength on him there. So although it's not about who, who's better in certain tasks, but it's different. To, it's interesting to hear how people react differently to different tasks and your fears and your anxiety and you know your different motivations so just quickly before 
Hell Week, you know, what's your kind of background and how did this call come about where you actually, you know, got asked to come on and, and what was that feeling like receiving that call? Or Well, it's, I suppose my own background, um, obviously my twin brother, very competitive growing up in Kilkenny. Um, like I think it probably, there's a couple things that led up to probably where I, where I was in, 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 at that point in time in life where I wanted to apply for the show. Like, um, obviously I was very competitive as, as a young guy. Uh, with my brother particularly at first from birth almost we're competitive and we kind of at around the age of 16 we we're both playing hurling and then running track and field and we split our split separate ways uh, Michael stuck to hurling I, I went to track and field route um, and I kind of just went through the ranks in the school system uh, ended up getting a scholarship to DCU um, after a year of failing architecture in, in, in DIT um, and uh, just once I got into the scholarship, scholarship uh, kind of set up, I just kind of excelled from there, took a chunk off my PV, ended up running well, got a chance to represent Ireland at a, at a senior level uh, for the European Team Championships in 2011. And then I wanted to go a step further. I was like, right, how far can I take this? Went to the States, trained kind of competitive over there for um, about, only about 12 weeks or so with, with, the, with the group that trained, where specifically they're Olympic athletes pretty much. They either have Olympic medals or were in finals or world finals. I kind of measured myself up against them. And I think around the age of 21, 22, I just stopped. I actually, I kind of saw my potential, went cold turkey, um, had finished my sports science degree, um, had gone to a certain point in, in athletics, realized that I probably was never going to make the Olympics. Realistically, would probably make Europeans, but would never make a final, wasn't going to make money out of it. And at that point, when I was about 21, 22, I just went cold turkey in sports, tipped around playing hurling a bit, went to the gym, but didn't do anything major for about seven, about seven years. I went on and did physiotherapy in the meantime, did a master's in physio and ended up kind of, I suppose, once the, physio, the, the physiotherapy course had finished and I got my accreditation over in Ireland and started working here, I kind of had no real goal. I've also had something, either be it athletics, be it education, but I've also had one goal to kind of work on. And in the last probably year, year and a half before Hell Week started, I had nothing really to, to, to fixate my energy on or to, or to kind of really something to drive or have passion about. I had no passion for anything really. It's kind of loose end. And I remember last year uh, in March or April when the first series came out, I absolutely loved it. Fell in love with the whole show, fell in love with the series. Just thought it was, thought it was the first thing that RTE brought out um, that was actually true to life that was realistic and um, that there was no kind of molly coddling around and uh, they weren't going home for the weekend for like a warm shower this is proper like hardcore stuff um, and I just thought you know what that could be a good test to see just one something to, to mentally prepare for to, to look forward to um, and also see just see how we get on see we see what, what I'm made of what, what bottle I have and just to see like how, how I'd manage in the situation so I think that's probably before that's probably what led up to me actually applying for it um, and then, of course, I got a phone call to say that I've been accepted for a fitness test and kind of, kind of snowballed from there, really, um, once you fill out your application first. And do you think um, having your brother in there with you had a positive effect on your experience? Um, having Michael, so Michael really didn't want to do the show at all. He was, had, had never seen the, the series at all, didn't even know what it was about. I rang him probably around two or three weeks before the deadline for the applications up and I just spoke I was like, listen, I'm going to apply for the show. I think it'd be a really good opportunity for the two of us just to go in 
and for a bit, of, kind of like a bit of crack, just because we hadn't really, we hadn't gone on holidays together, we'd never really been away together. Just the two of us are done some some adventures together, and I'm kind of my for my friends I was go ice climbing with. My brothers never joined me in those kind of um, adventures, and I knew he'd be. I know he's into that sort of stuff, but he's never really done it or had the opportunity to do it. So I said, listen, I think I thought it would be a good idea for him to come on uh, to give it a go, and it took a good bit of persuasion for him to to actually to sign up for it. Um, just, and he eventually, on the last day, put in his application, uh, said he's my twin brother, and they, they kind of ask you, you know, if any additional information that might help your application. And we just both of us put in, said it's my twin brothers, uh, or identical enough, and that might actually help a wee bit. And lo and behold, both of us got a phone call, a phone call back. I was delighted. He was apprehensive. And then when it actually came to the fitness test and things were getting a bit more serious, he completely didn't want to do it. Two weeks before the show started, he wanted to drop out until I sat him down and said, listen, this would be a great opportunity, 100% do it. And then when he came in, he asked, was it a good experience for me to have him there? And like even morale boost, it was great having him there. Like I loved, like, for, I didn't talk too much. I didn't get the opportunity as soon as we were off the bus. Uh, the first day, um, I barely spoke to him. I could just see him from across across the way in, in the dorms or where you're staying. And I just every now and again, if you're like really low or knackered or crawling through the ground, you just I give him a look or he'd look at me. And even just you don't know, when you have a sibling, you have brothers yourselves. You mentioned earlier, um, but like when you just give him the look, it's one look and say a thousand words, and that's all I kind of need to just be like, right, let's keep going. Like we're not we're not we're not bad yet, sort of thing. So definitely for the first settling in period, for first two or three days, it was really beneficial to have him there. Yeah, hundred percent helped a lot. And and I know this might sound crazy because now obviously you are the winner of the program, but did you ever at one point think, wow, I could actually win this? Uh, so when I went into that show, I thought to myself, I, could, I couldn't figure out, I just didn't understand what would break me, if that makes sense. I, didn't, I, did, I, just, I thought of every situation I would be in um, and I couldn't see anything stop me in a weird way. Now, I wasn't, I'm, not, I'm not a very outspoken person with regards confidence in that. Like, I wouldn't go like, I'm definitely going to smash this thing. I'm going I'm to walk it easy. I just remember I, said, I, I actually joked a lot saying I was going to book flights to like, I had a week off work for it. So I was going to book flights to like Amsterdam for the Wednesday because I presumed it could be gone by the Tuesday, like two or three days into it. Um, and that was kind of just to, to brush off the whole silent conference I had inside. Couldn't figure out what would break me um, when I went in there. So like, not really. So you're asking this, I will, I'm actually losing my train of thought. I'm going to drag myself no, away. No, to, you, no, you were dead right. Like you were, you were joking around by saying like you'd nearly planned your, uh, your exit already, like before it was happening. But I think um, what I was kind of thinking was when I guess I could, I could re- kind of rephrase my question to make it more, more kind of um, make it easier for you to have an answer on it. When did it really kick into effect where you were like, I can actually win this? Like, you know, I'm sure at the start, there's so many people in, like, you know, there were yeah, so many numbers, okay. there was so many. So when did it get to a point, uh, John, where you were like, you know what, I'm going to go for this? There are two, so two points in, in, in the series, right? So the, at the very start, I hadn't, I looked around me, saw these really fit guys, CrossFitters, triathletes iron men like these amazing adventurers um and I, I admire them all still to this day i think they're still to this day i think they're, they're much better than i am at, at regards like mental resolve and, and toughness but um so i never when i first went in, i was like i have no hope here i didn't actually think i'd last any length i just but i still couldn't figure out what was going to drop me um when we got to the day where we had to do it was kind of like a, a rescue and evacuation um we had done a river crossing that morning uh, 
we had set ourselves up. There's probably 12 of us left at this stage. We broke up for two teams of six. Um, and I remember looking around and for some reason, I'm, I'm not really philosophical, but I remember just at one point, like a Robin Redbreast like, jumped in front of me. We're in the middle of this, like the camera crew around us, we're being shouted by the DS, we're on a line before we start the task. And Robin Redbreast just jumped in front of me. And I remember just looking at it and it just looked at me and I was like, hmm. and my mother's always like real, real kind of uh, spiritual that way. She'd always think that Robin Redbreast might be like someone, a family member or a loved one or something uh, gone by. And I just remember thinking, that's a good sign here. I was like, I don't think I'm going to drop out of this at all. And that was the first kind of thing I was like, yeah, that's a second sign from somebody sort of thing. Uh, that was probably day five or six. And then you kind of forget about it. Um, and I'd, I'd gone through a point, I remember we had a psychological re report and they talked about it. I didn't hear this until I watched the show myself, but they said that, I was, that some of the um, contestants felt that I was kind of feeling uh, as if I kind of wanted to give up or I kind of lost interest in the show or I was sick of it. And I actually was there dead right. Um, Day six, day five, I was fed up, didn't want to be there, and really mentally struggling to just, not to say, affect this, I want to go home, I've proven enough to myself, there's no real reason to be here. Um, and the whole emotional thing just kind of starts to take over. Um, but we had gone through the quarry, um, there was seven of us left at this stage, JP in the evening time got, was taken out, and we, did, we had started our, our last task, the kind of the, the evasion during the night, when we got captured the next morning and we put with the bags over our head, at that point, I knew I was, I was going to pass the course before the interrogation even started because I knew the physical side of things were over. And that for me was one of the toughest thing, things in the whole thing was just the physicality of how intense and how hard it was to continue to keep going and give 100% effort for everything you did. That was just draining me, mentally draining me. Even though physically I was, I was completely zapped Mentally, I, was, I felt that was going to be the first thing to stop me just going, I have enough of this. Um, but when we got to the caption invasion, uh, I was like, done. I was like, it's all mental here, all mental from this point on. I was like, I'm not dropping out of here. I, I, just, I knew in my head, it's like, they can do whatever they want to me here. If they even put a tied a battery to me, to my fingertips, or I was like, I'm never dropping out of this. I was like, this, whatever mental torture they have coming towards me, it's not, it's not breaking me. So on that, at that point, then I knew I was, I was there for the long run for the, for then. So very late in the whole phase, I suppose, when I was really sure, when there's probably only four or four was left. But at that point, I knew it's, I'm definitely coming out of this either my own, but lucky enough, it was three of us um, finished it. And like, what did you kind of take away from it, like most that you can use even in your life now? What lessons did it really teach you where you were like, wow? I didn't know this about myself or I didn't know I was capable of this or that. Like what have you taken away now? That's, yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. I actually, I, people had asked me that after the show and I really didn't know the answer to it, to be honest. I didn't know what I got from the show and what I'd learned about myself, but I suppose only probably six months on from when the show was filmed. Looking back, the biggest thing I think I've got from it is just that if, if I think if anyone puts their mind down to something, so if, if somebody, it's quietly confident in themselves, I think, because I am quietly confident. If I put my mind to something, I'm pretty sure I can achieve it. Um, but I just know, like, if I wanted to put my mind to something, if you just don't, the simple thing is just not to drop out. So if you're persistent in what you do, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve, if that makes sense. Um, and it, like, in, this, in the simplest terms, for the show, it boils it down to the basics. You just say the words, I want to drop out, and it's done, it's over, you're out, and it's instant regret, essentially, for a lot of people, for a lot of people on the show. And for me, I just know that if, for anything I want to do going forward, if I just simply just be persistent with it, there's nothing effectively I can't achieve, be it physical or mental or business-wise or new ventures I want to do. I just, I'm, I'm 
quietly confident again that whatever I put my mind to, I can achieve it. And if I get, if I struggle, you just, if you want it, you just keep persistent, just don't drop out. And that's what I've really learned from the whole thing, that I have a good resolve for that and a good kind of stamina to just be stubborn enough to keep going. That was a great answer. Um, it's kind of what I was hoping you would have said as well. Yeah, because, I mean, we're all kind of going through things in life anyway and challenges and hurdles and stuff. And uh, not to the extreme that you guys were going through, but I mean, you know, life it's in itself is is pretty hard. But what what kind of like, you know, mentally like it would have, you would have been kind of nearly at war with yourself and and having rows with yourself every day. Like you know, you can do this, you can push, and then you've got like, you know, you've got the angel on one shoulder and you've got the devil on the other, trying to probably say you should leave, you should go home, you're not good enough, you're not the best here, and then you probably got this kind of, you know, without being spiritual but that Robin Redbreast was probably just a perfect message for you to actually push on and keep motivation because it's probably very easy to lose motivation especially like when I see in Jerry Redmond you know Jerry is a triathlete who is someone that would do a cycle swim and run for for crazy lengths of time and I'm sure when he's done his cycle and heading for the run he's thinking about oh you know I'm I'm not ready or so he pushes on and then he gets to the swim or whatever order he does it in and then he's probably tired for one or the other and feeling like he can't make it so I thought someone like him going into hell week would have done really 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 well as in like would have won it no problem like but it just shows you that the mental is is probably 60 if not 70 percent and the physicality is actually probably a lot less than what people think. Like you could probably send someone in that's the fittest guy in the world, but he mightn't have the personality or the motivation or, or the self-esteem to like do what you guys done, the final mm-hmm. six or the final four or five. Like even at the, I think when I was watching the program, when you all were coming up like after that really long walk up the hill, yeah, uh, Tongue Lagee, yeah, the former yeah, Tongue Lagee, yeah. yeah, you didn't actually look that bad. You didn't yeah. like you. You really didn't like when I looked at some of the guys that got up, and and DS was saying like, you know, how are you feeling? Well done, you know. A lot of them were like ready to just fall. You kind of like, it was like you were ready to say, this is it. You know, once I finish this, and we're captured or whatever, like you said, do whatever you want to me. I've made it through the hardest part. So I think um, that's what I was really interested to hear. Like, in your own life now, like so I can relate it back to people listening we all have stuff going on and we all kind of sometimes can be our own worst enemy we have a row with ourselves about something and it mightn't even be as bad as we think it is like I'm sure when you were going to bed some of them nights you were probably thinking what's tomorrow's task going to be like am I going to fail immediately or am I going to succeed to the best of my ability but that's all internal that's you having these internal conversations all this dialogue that really can have a massive effect on your performance and, and your mindset. Um, yeah. So what was that like? Were you constantly like at war with yourself or were you just pushing yourself? Or That was, yeah, you, you actually you hit one of, the, one of the hardest tasks. You just hit a nail on the head. One of the hardest things about the whole show was that mental, mental battle you had with yourself. So a really good example, I think, for me in that would be um, when we were putting the hole, essentially, the claustrophobia test. So I was last to go uh, on that test. We had, there was six, seven or eight of us left at that point. Um, 
and we were told to stand up in the dorms, not to move, which I wasn't very good at, obviously, that because I got caught out a good, a good bit during it. But what added to what made me almost so bad was my, my anxiety levels were just rising and rising and rising, getting worse and worse. And I remember Dan, number seven, uh, Dan Moore, uh, he went out first and he was hands down, in my opinion, the strongest, strongest person there from on paper during the course, wasn't phased, was doing really well. He, he went out and I knew at this point last year, it's going to be something similar. They went through a pipe. They all thought there was rats there. It was in the water. I was like, right, I'm going to be wet. I'm going to be cold. Came back in. Dan just came back in, drowned and wet, didn't say anything, looked a bit shook. I remember going, what the hell is shaking him? That was the first, in the first 10 minutes, in the first half an hour of that, I remember seeing him come back and going, what the hell is shaking him? And my mind just ran with myself. I completely went all over the place in my brain. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I was visualizing myself go, having to go through, go backwards through a dugout tunnel with a water, like water flowing over my chest and about to drown, like drown proof and sort of thing. I was building it up, building it up, building it up. I couldn't keep my eyes steady. I had to keep looking around because I was, I was freaking out. I was, I was freaking out properly when I was in there. Um, even though my face didn't tell it, but inside internally I was just having a panic attack. Um, and then I think when I actually went out and they dragged us out there and, and put us into the hall and they're like, get into the hall. I was like, this is an absolute godsend. I, I couldn't believe how lucky I was because I was like, I was expecting way worse. I thought it was going to be the worst thing ever imaginable. And it turned out to be just sit in the hole and keep your mouth shut, Grant. Like that, that to me was just how, like I mentally could, could have dropped out there. Just be, and I, I remember I was, I was standing there, I was almost falling asleep standing up. My brain was going crazy. And I really struggled there to, to not just say affect this and I'm stopping and going because I was proper panic and I remember seeing Jura coming in. Jura wasn't even wet because he hadn't got to the point. He hadn't got into the hole and he came back out and I was like, what's broken Jura? I saw him get his bag, walked out, didn't stand to us. I was like, Dan looks shook. Jura Redmond, who's a badass, looked shook. Like he's gone. He dropped out. I couldn't get over it. And for me, I was like, no, nah, not doing this. I'm done. I'm done. And then as soon as I went out to it, I was relieved almost. That, that that was there and so I think that goes down to what you're saying about the whole mental aspect the kind of devil and angel on your shoulder the devil was in my ear big time uh, for that and I just I just I suppose I just I didn't want to see myself drop out I always knew I could drop out at any point and if it was my worst nightmare which is what I don't know what, what, what that is but if it was worse than what I was imagining then I could just go not not doing it and drop out so I always had the option to back out which was a safety net for me um so I was never going to get to the point and go, I don't know what this, so I think that's really a, a good thing for going forward. And I suppose in a real life situation, <coughs> I suppose people tend to build things up worse in their head than what they are. But actually when you get to the situation in retrospect, it's not as bad as, as it, it turns out to be. And that definitely was the case for me during that um, and, how it, and how it panned out. That's it, like, that's exactly what I kind of would have liked to hear. Like just how you referred it back to normal life, because so so many of us are never going to get to live that experience you guys lived um so i'm trying to like make it relevant for people listening that it'd be like wow you know sometimes i don't go to such an event or i don't go to uh to certain um certain kind like of races uh, or yeah, competitions or meets or exactly, exactly. Like, yeah. based yeah. on their own inner fears and paranoia and and you know anxiety Whereas, like, you know what it's like, John, you know when, like, it's late at night and you're lying in bed and for some reason you start thinking about things that happened years ago or months ago? Like, that can never change. They've happened. 
but for some reason you start running these things through your mind again and saying why did I say this or why did I say that and if I had have acted differently would this have happened da, da, da. and it's all like conversations you're having with yourself and like somebody I had on the podcast before had said in episode number 40 you know the inner chats you have with yourself are so important like because if you start speaking positive you'll most likely start you know feeling positive whereas if you're constantly around negativity like Kevin Hart spoke about that on Joe Rogan's podcast before saying like if you're around people all the time that are going you know this is shit that's shit that song is shit you know oh let's go for food here now that place is shit or you want you know let's try this place in town no that place is shit or you know uh, have you met John before no I don't like him if you're around that all the time you will eventually become you know, one of those type of people where like everything is just negative. But if you're around somebody that's like, let's go try this place or do you want to do this this weekend or do you want to book a flight here? Do you want to try this marathon? Uh, do you want to come down and meet John? You know, he's a great guy. Those people, when you've more of them in your life, your own then self-talk will become kind of more positive because your influences around you become kind of a part of who you are. I've heard people saying that before, like you're most influenced by the five kind of closest people to you, you know, mm. so like two or three of them could be your family, but then like, who are the other ones? So you can't really control, like if you live in a household with your mother and a father and your mother's so encouraging, but your father's like not really the best for motivating you and pushing you and he kind of maybe puts you down a bit. You can't really control that as much because they're in the same household as you or whatever. Mm. But like when it comes to friends and stuff, you can genuinely control who is feeding into that dialogue and who's feeding yeah. into that uh, if they're having a good positive effect on your mood or not um, one question I want to ask before we finish up is you know having watched the program I kind of have this feeling like with everything that I, because I've been involved with, with stuff like whether the podcast or behind the scenes of some productions um, not many but like I get to see a little bit of what's lo- what it's like behind the closed doors with the DS's like were they really as harsh on you as the program made them out to be? Or was it like, you know, lads, look, let's switch on. We've got to be this way. We're fulfilling this role. We have to act out this part. And um, because if we don't go on this way, which is, it won't feel like the real experience. I just, I'm so interested, like, cause they really were hard on you. Like, Yeah. I wish they were like that. So they weren't at all. They were, in fairness, those four guys, five, there's a couple of guys, there's a couple of DSs that weren't really part of, um, there was one extra DS that wasn't really seen um, in the show until the last episode. He was the um, the umpire. Uh, he was probably, he was, he was kind of in the, in the background scene, but every DS that were there, four of them, were at the four horsemen. They were absolutely switched on from the get-go. As soon as we were on the bus, and the intensity, the drive, the abuse, the mentally and physically beating us down, emotionally beating us down, that never stopped. Off camera, so the cameras were always rolling, but they're, net, they're just built into the walls. And you just don't even notice them. You don't even notice. Every now and again, you notice it might move position, or you might see it move in position because it's maybe picking up, or one of the production crew are having a look at a conversation that's going on. But the DS never wavered they were constantly on our tail they were constantly giving us abuse even if we did a good job if we did a good job they would be they would, they would say did you enjoy that break there that's bullshit you're just shite like even when i went in and said they said that i was a weak weaker twin and all this sort of thing like that that all plays into your mind and taps into your mindset and like even though i knew 
that they're that like for me I was like these guys are surely genuine people outside of this scenario and the situation and I had to almost keep reminding myself that these are people I'm sure with families and, and kids but like they're so aggressive so switched on and then like we had we had night PTs that weren't even showing the show that like during the middle of the night would just get woken up and be absolutely troused to the ground like crawling around outside and just put back to bed for no reason like and then it was it was non-stop so like from a production point of view we very had very little um input from the production side of things we were only for interviews that would pull us out the ds would pull us out put a bag overhead and drag us around and then throw us into a room pretty much and all of a sudden you have the producer there saying like with a smile going hey and we're just like knackered like um and then you have a conversation about your experience and then you're straight bag overhead straight back out don't, you don't even know where you're getting interviewed. It could be next door. So it was really genuine and really raw. Like, that was really what yeah. I wanted to find out. Like, was it just, you know, because I know I don't want you kind of nearly giving inside information, but, you know, like, you, you picture Big Brother, like, and you picture, like, you hear stories about, like, Bear Grylls. He's out in the jungle and he's, like, you know, living in the wild. But then you hear, like, he goes back to this five-star hotel after and he's well-fed and stuff. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not speaking probably facts here, but I'm speaking about what I hear. And um, mm. that like, oh, it's all just the cameras. So I'm really glad that you've kind of clarified that now what you've seen is as real and as raw as it can. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, have you got any kind of feelings towards real special forces now? Like, what, what kind of, what, what, <laughs> what's your view on like the real guys out there doing that stuff every single day? Uh, I like... I, I genuinely, so genuinely, I cannot fathom. So a lot of people say like, oh, would you like to go on for the Special Forces? I'd have loved to go on for Special Forces. Looking back now, thinking I actually might have had a chance. However, when I think about it, so they go through that kind of phase for three weeks. We had about a week of it. And I was at my wit's end. My, my feet were swollen. Like I had cuts all over my shoulders. There's scarring still in my shoulders from the straps just digging through. Um, I couldn't use my left hand. I had to, to, to balance the bar over my wrists on the last, last day and a half because I couldn't use my fingers at all on my left side. This is after a week, like, and I couldn't do it. My hands were completely cracking up. The, the guys who actually go through the special forces, like, so the DS um, and all their kind of, um, I suppose, colleagues, I can't even fathom how they do it. I, I don't understand how they have the mental or physical capacity to get through it. For me, I knew it would come to an end. It was going to be a week long. Um, but if it had been three weeks long, I, I actually don't think my body would have lasted. I think my body would have given up before. Probably my mind would have given up, but my body would have given up. So for the guys who actually have done it, the, like, the respect I have for them is it's their, I don't know how they're not like more paid more in Ireland. They, have, they should have way more kind of um, publicity than what they have. They're like these silent guys that no one knows about and they do these amazing things and just the public just don't know about them. They haven't a clue about what they do, what amazing stuff they do, how much graft and grind they go through to get to where they get to. And it's just like when they pass out their their selection, that was like nine months long, longer, like the first few weeks is kind of what we did. And then it's more into tactical stuff. But it's still a gruel in nine months, like of just nonstop slog. And that's after they, they're in the army for a couple of years. like, And they just don't get enough, um, I don't think they get enough credit at all for what they've done um, or what they do do. I think the show, the one good thing about the show is it actually brings out to the general public and it gives people who are like Joe Souls like myself or, or, or the rest of us who aren't really trained in, uh, we're just civilians, we're not trained in any of these kind of um, exercises. And it just gives them an opportunity to say, right, how would I actually manage? How would I cope? How would I do here? And it gives them a bit of an insight to what the actual Irish army go through and the special forces the Irish army do. And I think it's just, it's, it's brilliant for that reason alone, just for, even just to get them more, give them more respect and kind of more awareness around their profession and, and how amazing they are. Like, Thank you.
coffee and a little bit of conversation.